This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Cavalry Audio. Ladies and gentlemen, this is The Prevailing Narrative. I am Matt Polinsky, and a smarter man than I once described a recent era as the war against noticing. The insinuation being that there were punishments that was taboo to notice any variety of basic common sense observations and things that are right in front of everybody's face these days. For some reason, there's this pressure to not notice what's happening right in front of everybody's eyes. Um, one person who is definitely a general in the uh, in the other direction on the war on noticing, who is making sure to notice everything is the gentleman that I'm speaking with today, Super Snake, the artist formerly known as Super Slutty Snake, behind the Super Snake meme account. And um, I think would be helpful to uh, all my listeners, both those who are familiar with your account and those who may not be. Um, And I'd love to hear your take, actually. How would you describe the Super Snake, formerly Super Slutty Snake meme account? (laughs) First of all, thank you for having me, Matt. It's a pleasure to finally be on the show. Oh, long overdue. Very long overdue. Um, how, how would I describe the account? Uh, it's, it's, it's tricky. It's definitely, it's definitely not, it's not a one sentence job. Mm-hmm. Essentially, it's a parody account satirizing every element of high society. Every, mm-hmm. or it could be kind of, you know, the extended network around high society, the whole ecosystem of, you know, good life, luxury living, international jet set people. Um, and I tend to be very, very dry, very British. Uh, mm-hmm. And I do these very long captions, which is what I'm known for, where I like to enter to the headspace of my characters and, uh, and go crazy. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's a satirical meme account about rich people. And so let's actually dig in deeper here. Hey, we can go through this yeah. exercise and even further fleshing out exactly what this meme account is, because I think it's, it's very interesting, right? Um, and, and one point that you make is that there's an ecosystem now around the elite, around um, a, the, the culture of the wealthy, right? Think about, you know, you were, you're a little bit younger than me, so I don't think you're, you know, we're around for a show called The Lifestyles of Rich and Famous back in the 80s. It was pretty linear, right? There's only, you know, you either had old money, some new, uh, new wealth attained from recent business, athletes and celebrities and performers, and Robin Leach would go around and just show you their big houses. Maybe they had a jet and, hey, look how rich this person is. But now, and this is definitely because we're in a connected age in the digital media and social media age, is that there's an entire ecosystem around the wealthy and how they spend their wealth, right? It plugs into so many different aspects of society and you uh, satirize all of that. So you're not just satirizing the wealthy, you're satirizing those uh, who end up in their, in their orbit. And there's a lot of people who end up in their orbit. Yeah, I mean, it's effectively, I mean, I'd look at it like, um, you know, like it could be some sort of pyramid effectively, right? Where you've got wealthy person at the top and then everyone that's trying to get something out of them you know, in the pyramid below. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's kind of more intricate than that. I guess you draw it out more like a, like a spider diagram or some sort of like network. Mm-hmm. But effectively, you know, at the nucleus, there is this rich person 
could be male, could be female. And there's a lot of people around them that are trying to get something out of them. Could mm-hmm. be money, could be fame, could be status, could be a host of things. It's usually money or fame or status. And that's what I find fascinating is the social dynamics around that nuclear person, that person with influence, with power, with wealth, and how all these different types of people try and gain from them, sometimes very obviously, sometimes in in a more sly and subtle way. But if you look at a lot of the wealth that's been generated over the last 20, 30 years or so, and, you know, a fascination of mine is also this kind of like Middle Eastern wealth, you know, like uh, royal family wealth, sovereign wealth, and how a lot of people can get their starts from just by just by being the driver of a prince yeah. or the the guy that bought them a house one time, their real estate agent one time, their gym trainer. Mm-hmm. That's a that's a major one. Um, you could be the fixer guy, the promoter, the mm-hmm. the guy that picks up their dry cleaning, and all of a sudden, ten years later, these guys are buying buildings for a billion dollars in London. Mm-hmm. And that is fascinating, you know. It's, and- in how we're in an era where these people can, at one glance, it might seem kind of pathetic and a waste of time for these people to try to latch on to these rich folk, but it seems like it, wealth is more easily leveraged, perhaps because of status, right? That the that how yeah. status and wealth are intertwined in, let's call it the digital age, right? We're going to call it about the mid-90s, the internet comes around, um, you know, you print a, uh, central banks, particularly Western central banks, print a lot of money um, this, this century. Uh, and, you know, and the internet creates a higher velocity of economics and transactions, and it allows for a lot more people to become wealthy. So the take, taking that kind of what would may in prior era seem like a bit of a pathetic Hail Mary, it's actually not a bad idea. Like that people just from being in the orbit of these wealthy people, not even from a professional perspective, can sometimes pay enormous dividends. Yeah, certainly. And I think it's an interesting point that you made about, about, wealth equaling status or being kind of interchangeable in terms of terms mm-hmm. or terminology, which, which is, is a relatively new phenomenon because of social media, how connected we are. And because mm-hmm. of the fascination by people, you, you mentioned Robin Leach and his show. Um, but you know, I, you know I, I would refer to something like Cribs back in the day or Pimp My Ride or whatever, these shows where people started to get this real fascination. And I think in LA, you've always had it, right? Mm-hmm. The, you know, the tours showing famous people's houses. It's, it's quite a, an American construct that we didn't really have in Europe. Um, but now it's like amplified to the extreme. Um, and yeah, if you're famous, you're going to be published, published on that Forbes list and people will know about it. And you've got these leeches of all sorts that are constantly Googling people, finding out what they're worth. And, and yeah, it's effectively the same as being famous because you get given status automatically. And I think it used to be cool back in the day to be low profile, to be yeah. on the periphery, to not be front yeah. and center showing off. And now increasingly, as much as you'd want to be that guy, if you're trying to meet beautiful women or if you're trying to network and make business contacts, you can't be that guy that's the, the cool dude that's hiding away from everyone mm-hmm. um, because no one will know about I think that was would you, first- would you say that now in the digital media, media and social media era, because 
essentially everyone has a profile and everybody has a pro as you know as as you are evidence of right if you what if the profile that you put out th- out there through these digital channels and these social media platforms if it's attractive and people are interested in it you will gain attention and eyeballs and that those eyeballs can be monetized whether you're su- someone who's already super wealthy and people just ogle your lifestyle or if you're someone who has particular talent and is using that attention to accumulate wealth it seems like it, because that is it, it, those are the tools now available. So people figure, okay, I might as well use them. Yeah. I mean, I mean, it's, it, it, it's, it's incredible to think that kind of out of nothing, out of thin air, you can create this. Um, I mean, I mean, I, I referenced my own example, you know, mm-hmm. just, just by privy of uh, one day deciding to start an Instagram page and post some funny, funny stuff. I'm not mm-hmm. sure if I can swear on the show. Um, swear away my friend. Okay. So, so, you know, by, by consistently posting funny shit over a period of time, which, and, and it started off with intentions for it to just be a bit of fun and it was never meant mm-hmm. to be anything or a business. Um, I'm now getting interviewed by Matt Belinsky for the prevailing marathon. <laughs> no, but it, you know, in all seriousness, um, you know, I'm working as you know, in, in you know, in Hollywood on TV shows and have a fashion brand and, you know, mm-hmm. I had it. I did an event recently, and and Dior dressed me for the event. Like stuff, stuff that I never thought would ever come out of creating an Instagram page. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, I don't think it's. I don't think we've ever had that in history, where you can kind of come up with something in such an easy way with very low barriers to entry. Effectively, mm-hmm. right? What I mean, all I all I need is a phone and internet connection, yeah. and my yeah. brain, and I create a business. It's um, crazy, and you're seeing at other ends of the spectrum, people creating value for themselves and maybe a less, I mean, I, I like to think that there's value to what I do and entertaining people and, and it requires, you know, obviously some sort of level of brain power and, and creative writing and, and, and so on and so forth. But now by privy of being hot, you can create status for yourself and you can monetize it very easily. You don't need a modeling mm-hmm. agency. You don't need a wealthy benefactor necessarily. Um, you can you can create so much uh, you know intrinsic financial value for yourself just by looking good, um, and that's all through social media. And I think that's corrupted um, a lot of stuff. And and yeah. going back to our previous point about the ecosystem, it gets more complicated now because now you've, no you've, you've got OnlyFans girls that are making more than the chairman of J.P. Morgan. If people, it, it, a, a lot of people outside who are just kind of tangentially aware of OnlyFans, if they had any idea, this is not just the elite. It's not just that top tier of OnlyFans girls that are making a ton of money. I mean, oh, yeah. there are there are third tier OnlyFans girls that are making more, have made more money in the last 12 months than your most upper class professional uh, professionals, your parents, right, ever made in a year. Crazy. And, and people still haven't quite wrapped their mind around. I mean, you want to talk about wealth transfers. I always talk about, okay, this is Bernie Sanders' wet dream. You want to talk about transferring the wealth from, you know, a bunch of rich, horny guys to the pockets of, you know, of women who otherwise are, are do not have college educations and wouldn't would be, you know, finding some sort of, let's call it in between blue collar and white collar uh, profession to, to enter or have to take a real shot um, on something entrepreneurial and they're making a ton of money. I mean, this is the greatest wealth transfer mechanism in, in modern history. It's crazy. Yeah. I, I, I think, you know, we've, we've perhaps seen elements of it in terms of like leveraging beauty to make money and, you know, in, in previous times with modeling and with, with film and, and television, but now you can effectively, you don't even need to be that beautiful and you can mm-hmm. leverage your body online and be making serious money. You mm-hmm. know, 
I, I've met a ton of actors. My 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 father and mother have told me stories about actors back in the day. And a lot of them were freeloaders. They weren't actually making that much money. They would yeah. spend all their money. Now you've got girls making $20 million a month. And all they need is a tripod, a phone, and the willingness themselves. to show their tits. Yeah, willingness to show maybe someone to f- help film once in a while. But the barriers to entry are incredibly low. The mm-hmm. cost of production is incredibly low. And these girls are making such crazy money. And yeah. I think that's, it's, I don't know what it's going to do to society because we're only just seeing it now. This is quite a relatively new phenomenon. Mm-hmm. But imagine when this expands out and you have a lot of people that are making s- such incredible money for, by doing very little. Um, yeah. it, 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 what, what's it going to, you know, in 10 years time, every kid's going to want to be an influencer. I mean, it's, it's getting there already, right? They've done yeah. surveys of kids and, and there was, what was it? 90% plus. So they wanted to be influencers when they got older. Yeah. Well, well you think about it, right? Because when we were growing up, uh, it, there was, it was just accepted as a fact that unless you, you really got lucky, unless just lightning struck, you were going to have to grind it. You were going to yeah. have to make sacrifices. You were going to have to do things that were unpleasant. And even the quickest, right? Even, I mean, Bezos, right? It still took about seven or eight years, okay? But between when he started Amazon and between when it really took off, right? Or, mm-hmm. you know, I think about all those types who were uh, retirement wealthy for about 15 minutes in the first dot-com era and then saw that wealth Twitter away. And then they might've found their way into a startup that a decade later made some money. And th- this can now happen. These kids can now attain indep- financial independence within a year or two just by being interesting and ga- gathering an audience. And that's got to screw with so many kids who are in developmental stages because if you're staring at one path, which is um, uh, be the low person on the totem pole, grind it out, long hours at an office, have to you know have to get crafty and, and weave your way through a hierarchy, which you're at the bottom of, or you know they, they can see so many more examples of their contemporaries who just struck it big and attained serious wealth pretty quickly. It's got to screw with their minds. Well, de- I mean, uh, definitely. And I think it's so front and center. Uh, you know, how does it affect a kid to see... Uh, I was watching videos the other day of that 6ix9ine rapper mm-hmm. who is, is not a very intelligent man, is not a very impressive looking or sounding or eloquent sort of sort of man and he's standing there in front of you know 10 supercars getting hundreds of thousands of dollars of cash out of the out of the trunk and throwing it around and you know it's like i wonder what sort of effect that has on a kid the looks of that mm-hmm. and goes god i go to school every day and i have to learn about maths and science and this kid that can't even talk <laughs> is throwing around sacks how do you, and, you stay know, focused when never, that type of distraction really is out there like when, when I was growing up, I would idolize the, the rappers because I was obsessed with hip hop. But I was mm-hmm. idolizing Dr. Dre, Eminem, Tupac, Biggie, who were very eloquent, guys. Stars. Yeah, iconic, incredible yeah. lyrics, so intelligent. I wasn't looking at them thinking like, oh my God, you know, Tupac is so dumb, but he's so successful. Like I was like, wow, this guy's a genius. Everyone I looked at within the entertainment space was to me a genius in some way. Um, and it's only since reality TV started and kind of, you know, Paris did that, the show with Nicole Richie, The Simple Life, and, and then The Kardashians, has that notion of like, you cannot be talented and make it in entertainment been a thing. Yes, historically in entertainment, you could be good looking and make it, but you wouldn't last the test of time because people knew you're a bad actor and eventually you get mm-hmm. found out. Yeah. Uh, but now genuinely there are people with no talent that yes, they have to grind to some extent. Like I'm not going to say that 
the Kardashians have not put in work to build a business, of course. Sure. Uh, you know, and someone like Black China is making 20 million a month because she was famous beforehand. But mm. she's famous for. That's what I want to, you know, it's like she wasn't famous for anything that I, uh, what was she, what was it, dating Rob Kardashian? Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden she's making 200 million plus a year. Yeah. And it's like, what, you well, know, it, it's, so, it's crazy. So the, the thing that I think is more disorienting and probably is more impactful is, right? Okay. The people at the, 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 top of the food chain, right? A black China, for instance, somebody's making that much money. Throughout time, people have always understood that there's some people who hit pay dirt who become, you know, is, yes, obviously the standard, uh, the, the standard for dignity of fame and celebrity continues to corrode over time. But idiots have always gotten rich. It's always been an exception here, a person there, you know, could be a musician that you thought, some people thought was just putting out syrupy pop hits um, and didn't deserve it and wasn't a true artist, et cetera, et cetera. Okay. I think what's more dislocating, disorienting these days is that there's an entire new class of people who aren't black, who aren't A-listers, but once when, when, you know, their choices were to either go grind out some entry-level job and just start a normal career or instead make a couple million a year, a million, $750,000 a year. Like they're making many, many multiples of what else they would be, their, their most likely other option for income would be. Mm-hmm. And that's not just a couple people, right? There's a ton oh, of those people, right? Because even when I, you know, I got back from college um, early 2000s, I was in LA, I was going out, I was, you know, going to exclusive night spots and whatnot. And the people who were getting tables there, you know, they were either one older, older gentleman who already made it, um, a couple trust fund kids. And then there were, yeah, the handful of young actors who would hit it or some rappers, uh, a couple back then, there's still a couple uh, um, kind of extreme sports guys who were, who were throwing money around. But like you understood that there were a few people who just got lucky or hit it or had ex- excessive talent. Mm-hmm. That now, the cohort of uh, uh, the, the volume of people who are making money off their own persona has expanded way beyond just those exceptions, right? And I think that's what's yeah. disorienting because anyone could say like, okay, some there's two kids my age who somehow hit it rich. When there's 2,000 kids my age who somehow got rich, how on earth do you try to do any, focus on any other productive activity over an extended period of time other than going and trying to be famous yourself? Well, I think I, yeah, you're right. I think it's going to be an impossible task. I, and I think self-monetization has never really been a thing uh, mm-hmm. well, it wasn't, it wasn't a thing before the advent of social media. You couldn't just sit there one day at home and think I'm going to make money for myself. There were so many barriers to entry. Like I've got to go, let's say I'm, you know, I, I was beautiful back in the day. Let's say I've got to go to the modeling agency. I've got to get a contract. I've got to work jobs. I've got a way to get paid. You know, it's a, it's mm-hmm. a slow burner. It's a slow process. Now in this day and age, you could sit there at home one day and on a whim, decide to create something. Yes, of course, it could take time, but you could be in an overnight success. You see on TikTok, these people are going from, I have some friends that started posting on TikTok. They told me about two weeks ago. They're already on seven and a half million likes in two weeks. That's crazy. It's, you can explode instantly yeah. out of nowhere. And, and we've never really seen this before in the past. And I, I wonder, and I'm fascinated to see, and also petrified to see how yeah. it's going to, develop it over time. And I know I'm hypocritical because I do it myself, but I would like to think that I'm exploiting my talent mm-hmm. rather than exploit. I mean, as you can see, I don't show my face. I'm not showing. Sure. Exploiting. Well, no, the, the value life. that you're providing, I mean, and listen, it's interesting. I asked you what you thought your account was I, um, from once again, you know, now I think it's a useful exercise for me to 
speak to what I think your account is. And as I said at the beginning of the chat, I mean, the war on noticing, right, is that people who are willing to be very blunt and objective about what's going on in society is that's that's in short supply, yeah. right? So someone like yourself who's looking at these things that everyone kind of because all, all this new stuff that we've been we've been talking about thus far in this conversation that's kind of like new you know manifestations of wealth status and the way people react to that I mean it, it kind of just sprout, sprouts up and you just sit there and, and people just uh, it, it enters people's lives and they just kind of deal with it on a personal level but uh, it's somewhere in the back of their mind they find it odd right and they and it, someone who can kind of articulate what is peculiar uh, or or how you know it, either one just describing it in general and articulating it but two also, why this might be something that you, you know, I don't want to say concern because you don't have a negative account, right? It's not a pessimistic account. Yeah. Um, it's somewhat critical. Um, but giving voice to that, I think, is the uh, is is really what the value is. And I mean, you've got a pretty, you know, a pretty well-educated upscale. I mean, you're just describing, you know, hot culture and elite culture, but like it's for an educated audience, no doubt. Yeah, well, I mean, yes, it, it is for an educated audience, but it's not necessarily uh it's not required in order to understand the sure there's no barrier to entry on it yeah i mean i think to understand the nuances uh you have to have some level of i guess of education and um and sophistication because the nature of the writing like you said i mean you said it's a critical account it's not directly Mm. critical you never hear my tone of voice like apart from when i do interviews like this or uh, you know the rare occasion that i might say something on a story um, 99.9% of, of the time I am embodying a character and impersonating a character. And yes, mm-hmm. obviously I do things in the, in the caption and in the monologue and dialogue that p- potentially reveal my opinion. I'm mm-hmm. not going to deny that, but it's never a direct criticism. I'm never like, I hate so-and-so place. The food sucks. It's terrible. Mm-hmm. I want to bury that place. I will occupy the headspace of an influencer and I'll say, Oh my God, babe, isn't so-and-so place the best? Like every time I go there, it's just like, you know, 57 blonde girls with extensions that can't, you know, name the alphabet and blah, blah, blah. Like, it's like, (laughs) I'll, I'll, I'll describe the clientele or, or I'll be like, uh, you know, I'll compare the food to another place. That's like not so favorable. But I'll never, I don't like to directly criticize because I don't want it to be one mm-hmm. of these like, um, I don't want people to think I'm bitter and that's yeah. the intention. Because it, it, it could drift into that easily, but you don't let it drift there. Well, no, because then then people are like, oh, this is just the guy that's on the periphery. And like, yeah, a hater that like can't get into the club and can't get into whatever mm-hmm. event I'm talking about. And, he, I, and I do get those comments. Mm-hmm. It's like, I get into all of them. But so that I, that was actually my next question. So what put what blowback have you received, and what you know? What do you think that? What larger points do you think uh, the op, any opposition or or criticism you've gotten? What are the bit larger points to be gleaned from that? Well, I think it's. Pe- I mean, primarily it's people that don't understand uh, the mechanism of satire, and I think it's quite mm-hmm. it's quite bizarre and, and and troubling the amount of people that don't understand what satire is. So just even the concept of using, um, you know, parentheses in my, or speech marks in my, um, in my captions is beyond some people. They're like, Mm -hmm. Oh, you're homophobic, you're racist, you're sexist, you're whatever. 
and I say, my characters are, and they say, mm-hmm. well, you're the one writing it, so you're, you're the racist one. And the example I always use is if you're producing a documentary about a horrible warlord, like an Adolf Hitler or whoever, or Stalin, or, you know, and you, let's say it's a scripted um, film, and you're, you're playing Adolf Hitler, you're playing a horrible character in time, and you paint them as this great guy that has a puppy and goes for coffee in the morning and does gym class, everyone would say, hey, what is, wait a second, that's, that's not what Hitler was like, mm-hmm. you know? And so when I'm painting these terrible people, I have to become them to yeah. an extent. You have to be misogynist in the caption. You have to be slightly sexist. You have to be occasionally racist. If I'm describing one of these old guys in the South of France that incredibly <laughs> racist, obviously racist, I'm, I'm shaming them. It's a horrible thing. And I become them in the caption. And I obviously, I, I make it so hyperbolized, so crazy that sh- people should not be thinking, oh, wow, that guy's a legend. That's never the intention. It's never glorifying. Um, and people don't often have the capability to understand that sort of device. Well, well do you think it's more less so that people don't have the capability and more so that in our era now, you're expected to do nothing but very in, in a very emotional way, um, criticize these people uh, uh, with with you know no irony whatsoever as yeah. opposed to find some sort of humor in their awfulness like because we we can 100%. it's kind of it's kind of a, a bit of a point of it is that we can find the amusement and the comedic factor in you know in their idiosyncrasies and some of their faux pas and their yeah, they you know they trip up on taboos right but you're not supposed to find the, the humor you're supposed to be humorless it, it, you're supposed to be another member of the HR department okay and handing out the demerits and calling them calling them in and and canceling them you're not supposed to be finding what's amusing but that's also what people once again would find attractive about and appealing about your account is that you are finding the humor in these things because maybe that's the point is that yes there are are people who are retrograde um who are you know who have bad values but we can it, it, the best way to fight back is to get a get a good laugh at them because it's not that serious because at, at the end of the day the world is continuing to turn and the only way that we can see this clearly is to take a beta- detached amusement well i look i completely agree with you and 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 i think there's such massive hypocrisy in terms of uh, the value system of what people think is offensive and, and abhorrent when you've got let's say for sake of argument, people uh, uh, voting Democrat and praising someone like Joe Biden and then calling my account horrific. And then you go, you see what the America, what America does in terms of foreign policy, where they're, you know, slaughtering innocent people on a, on a pretty much a daily basis, funding uh, warlord countries, uh, pursuing a very aggressive foreign policy where they have to meddle in everything. And those people are very hush hush about those policies. They're like, well, uh, you know, I, that may go on, but I don't know. But then all mm-hmm. of a sudden, something on Instagram is highly offensive and, and troubles them. And I'm always thinking, do you are you not able to kind of understand that? It's a strange you know, perspective. Satire, humor. Yes, it can occasionally get dark. You may offend people. That's totally cool. Like I see a lot of stuff that I don't think is particularly funny. I don't have to impart an opinion. And I, and I was having this conversation with someone the other day, and you know, I I, I put up. I put up a, a short reel the other day for a bit of fun. It was something that I just, I, I shot cause I enjoyed it and I put it on my profile and I got so many messages from people like this blows, this sucks, delete this now. You're better than this. Get rid of this, delete this. 
And I'm like, I was thinking to myself, I, I can't think of one post video ever in my life that I've ever commented on in a negative way, ever. Mm-hmm. Because I'm mm-hmm. comfortable in myself. You know, I, yeah. I'm, I'm cool with myself. I'm happy with who I am. And if someone, if, if you posted a, a post that I didn't agree with, potentially if there was like, a, you know, some sort of debate that could be had, I would say, yo, Matt, I don't agree with your point here. But I would never, mm-hmm. if you put up a picture of you and your friends at the beach, I would never be like, yo, Matt, this post sucks. <laughs> Delete it. You look shit. Like, why Why would you do that? And I think so, it's crazy. so many people are these keyboard warriors are so unhappy with themselves. It's always these people that have terrible lives, terrible jobs that are unhappy in themselves that are the ones that are active on social media, being the keyboard warriors, being the negative ones. Um, and yes, and they're extremely hypocritical people because they'll like, they'll overlook, you know, America's foreign policy or, or a lot of other stuff that goes on. Oh, I knew I we were going to get into politics a little bit. No, no, no. I, we, I we, just we, wanted right. to, I wanted to touch upon no, it totally because I, I think there's this, and, and you know, I think uh, you posted something about it recently, which I thought was really poignant and I, and I, and I completely agree as well with kind of like the, the vilifying of Russia as a nation, mm-hmm. when of course it's one person and one, you know, part of government that's doing all the horrific things in Ukraine. But, but yeah. we're very well, much also, the US and the UK. And, and you know, as, as, as a British guy, we're the same. We're completely complicit in a lot of the horrible atrocities that are going on around the world. But Russia mm-hmm. does it. And that's completely abhorrent. Yeah, um, yeah, uh, yeah, just, you know, people, they, everyone has such, and I, I want to get to, you know, kind of the European perspective and, and kind of how that informs what you do as well. I've found that very interesting. Um, yes, we are, everyone is so, we, we've trained everyone to get caught up in this minutia. And you, you see how I comment on this a lot is that we're, we're yeah. making mountains out of molehills because these little things that used to be the types of things that you brush off as just maybe irritations in your personal life and that like, like if someone, you know, whether it's a stranger you bump into on the street or somebody that you work with or that you're friendly with, and they're always going to aggravate you or do things that you disagree with. But everything now becomes a matter of personal principle that you have to stand on top of and and you have to, you know, silence is violence and it becomes uh, it, it become uh, it becomes like some uh, a professional. How should I say this? Um if let's say your boss abused you right mm-hmm. throughout time, like that'd be something you consider like. Do I take action against this? Right? Do I switch my job? Do I have to make a decision? Uh, uh, now, you know, everything becomes uh, uh, is now a reflection of your value system, and really poses a question of do you, do I have to speak up? Do I have to act? Do I sh- cut, shut my uh, shut my mouth? And I think this is driving people crazy because up until recent times, the amount of things that they thought that they either had to comment on or act upon or make a decision to comment or act upon, like, was not that large. There weren't that many things, and now the uh, the just pure volume of things that they have to consider whether or not to act on or comment on or have a position just is exploded and it's driving people nuts. Well, I think, yeah, you're totally right. And I think uh, Elon Musk made an interesting comment the other day when he referred to Twitter as the town square. And it's now, and and I think it's sad that that's the case because I don't want to necessarily be on the town square every time I look at social media. You know, yeah. I, for, that, for a reason, maybe you hide away at your house or whatever, because you don't want to be surrounded by all these people with their opinions. But I could deal with someone on the street coming up to me and being like, oh, I saw this post the other day and it really, I found it offensive because I'd be like, okay, cool, whatever. But I, mm-hmm. but I feel like whenever they, when they, whenever they comment, they're effectively trying to like put it in 
they're trying to make it permanent in some way and publicize it and mm-hmm. like decree it into you know so it's like so it remains and it's there and it's visible and it, do you feel more shape. obligated to respond or does it does it pack more punch when it's in when it's communicated digitally well you, you know how it is you you've probably had this as well you put up a video and 99 uh comments are amazing and one comment's horrible you look at the horrible mm-hmm. one i yeah. think it's human nature and i think but but I, I just i find i find the idea that you could be a fan of somebody and you could really like their content because these are fans that are saying it to me. Yeah. And, and I just do something completely harmless because I wanted to do it and people write mm-hmm. abusive stuff. I find that crazy. that notion troubling because it's like, you like this person. Mm-hmm. I'll and, give you and- a great example. Uh, you know, there are musicians that I like that put out songs I don't like. I would never go into Instagram <laughs> and say, Hey, um, whoever Coldplay or whatever, um, that was a terrible song you put out last week. Just don't listen to it. And I think yeah. this, this is, this is, it goes back to the idea of being offended. The idea of having to comment people, people now feel like they always have to impart their view on something in a very noticeable public way. It can't just be, I hold the private opinion that, uh, Dua Lipa's last song wasn't very good. For instance, mm-hmm. it has to be Dua Lipa has to know that I don't think her last song was good. She has to know. It has to be there. I have. I mean, it's effectively like, you know, yeah. if this was in the medieval era, it would be like going to Dua Lipa's castle and, and painting <laughs> on it. I I hated your last whatever, you know, sonnets or whatever the hell it would have been back then. Slaughtering your sheep. Yeah. I mean, it's, I find it incredible. I find that notion incredible. And I'd love to, I'd love to do some, I mean, maybe we should do some studies together. And yeah. sit down and well, here, interview these people and say why why did you do that? Why did yeah, you feel well, the need to write that? What is well, it about your life about how you feel every day that makes you do something like that? It is a fascinating study in human impulse and impulse control, right? Because when it was tougher, when it wasn't just at people's fingertips to be able to leave that, when they'd have to go across the, you know, uh, go across the British hamlet and, yeah. you know, go over to Dua Lipa's house and slaughter her sheep and rub blood all over her <laughs> exactly. barn or her castle, it was a tougher lift, right? Yeah. But it, now, is it just because, because it's so easy, because it's at people's fingertips, their impulse is to communicate that negative or their critical thought. And thus, if you give them the tool to do it, that they will be inclined to do it i mean i think that's that's a question uh, think i think that that's think definitely one, a, a one theory for them of, of, of i guess kind of self-therapizing via uh, letting out but a really a, a, a really self-destructive way oh, i mean it's, it's not it's not helping anybody oh, even listen yeah uh, you see me i'm one of those people who is naturally inclined to always voice an opinion but i'd like to believe that you know in prior eras i would have been someone who's w- would have passed the threshold to be a public commentator even before the social media you're doing that on your first. own account you know i yeah i don't think you're doing it necessarily always on but but look like i said before i'll preface this by saying if it's debate related mm-hmm. that's okay if someone posts hey i think that uh biden's latest bill was genius and mm-hmm. you write I do not think it was. That's different. That's encouraging debate. And then it's a, you know, it could be a two-way debate. It could be multiple way if it's on social media. That's fine. And that's always been the case. And that's town hall-esque. Mm-hmm. But what I do, what I find problem with and find issue with is when people impart opinion that's not welcomed. Yeah. If I put up a picture, hey guys, what do you think of my outfit? And people are like, it sucks. <laughs> I hate your outfit. I'm asking for it, right? Yeah. If you're just, if you're just posting 
something that you like doing, a piece of work, like for for me, it's memes and and comedy content. You don't have to tell me it's shit if you don't like it. Don't like it. You're voting by not liking it. And we'll have more of the prevailing narrative after the break. Well, they're so invested in it, right? They're so personally invested in whether or not what you put out there, it, it resonates with them. And do you, do you know, and this is interesting because I saw a little bit of this today. It was from another demographic, but this week, actually, are you aware that there's a fairly big female influencer who was under a partial cancellation attempt this week, partially because of liking and retweeting some of my comments? Wait, who is this? I'll leave her. I'll leave her nameless for okay. for the audience. I'll tell you later. But okay. a pretty big female TikToker, um, oh, who I'm friendly with, yeah, was was in the crosshairs for a couple reasons. One of which was reposting and retweeting and liking some of my comments. Uh, and there's even a Reddit thread about, oh my god, I can't believe she liked all of these Matt Belinsky posts. <gasps> Anyways, I didn't realize you had that Reddit. That's so yeah, I, I I was waiting for it. Finally, it's it's but finally come to club. pass here. Yeah, after all these years of shit posting, oh finally I want, got I wanted, there. I, 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 you just made me think of this story because it was one of the times I, I almost got cancelled, but no one really knows about it. Really? Let's hear it. Yeah. I, I, and I, yeah, I don't think I've ever spoken to you about it, but there was, there was a post that I did. If I remember correctly, it was around June uh, of last year. Mm-hmm. And it was what I thought was a particularly harmless post. It was, it was New York fuck boy. And there was all the classic stuff that you can think of, you know, you mm-hmm. had Carbone in there, you had Cipriani, you had the outfit of like the air force ones and the jeans and the black t-shirt oh, classic yeah. stuff. Right. It was like the most bog standard post. And, you know, as you know, a lot of, a lot of the wealthy guys in New York that get a lot of, of the hot models are Jewish. Mm-hmm. And a lot of my friends in New York, where the Chrome Hearts Star of David. It's like a it's a statement piece. Oh right? yeah. It's a fuckboy statement piece. And so I put fuckboy statement piece. So I put, you know, I put on top of the black t-shirt the Chrome Hearts Star of David. Mm-hmm. I, I just threw it in there because I was like, you know, so many of these guys are Jewish and it's funny and whatever. Time passes. The post does really well. A month goes by, two months go by. And then all of a sudden one day I get up and I have a ton of DMs from um Jews against online hatred, anti-Semitic, oh blah, 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 whatever. All of these accounts. And I'm getting tagged in all the stories because I can see all the story mentions. And it's mm-hmm. like, boycott Super Snake. He hates Jews. Mm-hmm. Super Snake, the famous internet anti-Semite. All of these posts. It was hundreds of them. Mm-hmm. And then I go, and I'm like, which post is this? I mean, it's, it was from three months ago. I find the post. All of these people, why do you hate Jews? What's wrong with you? <sighs> Why do you God. hate Jews? Some people are like anti-Semitism in 2021. Really? Is this still going? And I'm like, <laughs> what the hell have I done? So I'm going through deleting everyone, blocking, 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 blocking. The messages uh-huh. keep coming in and I didn't know what to do. So I kept up yeah. just blocking every DM I got. And I started thinking to myself, am I like, was that anti-Semitic? Mm-hmm. They'll make you think they'll get you on your yeah. heels, but they, it, but it, 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 this is some of the weird, I don't know if it's the physics or the chemistry or the biology of this. I'm trying to study it. Right. Is that once these, this, these little 
uh, uh, pylon campaigns, they they morph and they met- metamorphosize, right? And that just there's you the content was exactly the same as it was 15 minutes ago, but yeah. there's been some spark, there's been some cancerous growth on the internet, kind of attacking it, right? And it just starts to snowball. And then for a certain, but this is why the saving grace, and this is what I try to counsel people on, both as an attorney, right? Because I have clients that end up yeah. in these situations, yeah. and other people, some people aren't even my clients that when when they're worried about a cancellation, they call me for better or for worse. Anyways, I try to tell them this. There's literally an architecture to the Internet that that puts a a timeline on this for a few days. You're going to be getting these. After that, it's some for a variety yeah. of reasons. It disappears. Right. Every goddamn time. Gone. Yes. And I, and I it never disappears. got a comment again. And this is a fascinating thing to study that these weird pylons, right? It's, it's like these termites go start, they find a piece of wood and they go start going, they eat away at it. But then after a couple of days, it's like, this is no longer tasty and they just scatter. But right. Matt, and, that, and it does just, that not make you, I mean, to me, that screams bot activity. You know, it's, it's too coordinated. It's too timed. I don't know because. I, I don't know. The one time be- I got, re- well, I've gotten really piled on a couple times, but one time I could tell it wasn't, it mostly wasn't bots. It was, it's community. I don't think it's bots, man. I think that the way that social networks work is that once something, you know, goes out there into a particular network, a sub network, like yeah. if the sub network can, can, um, contains these types of people, like the cancellation types, it just yeah. spreads within that network. And then it's, but I guess it's like they have fuel. I, I wish I was I'm tr- struggling for the right metaphor here, but they've got a certain amount of fuel and they burn through that fuel. They go, everybody goes after it and then they just, it disappears. It's like it never fucking happened. It, it's pretty and incredible that's I try how, to tell how people. coordinated they are, considering how crazy and deluded they are. They're incredibly well, yeah. planned oh, and dude. coordinated. And yeah, it is, it is scary. And, and that's why I, I mean, I find the whole, cancel culture movement very it's it's an extremely aggressive organization if you can call it that very targeted very mobilized similar to the whole black lives matter thing it's incredibly highly highly sophisticated and organized in execution which Mm -hmm. which makes me think that there's a grander power behind the scenes orchestrating everything because it's just too calculated too well done how do you mobilize it's important impossible to I mobilize. think I, I you think wanted to it's, mobilize it's, an it's, army odd you know okay but think about it we're animals just like anyone and just you t- there are other species that can mobile that that just take each other's cues without there necessarily being one directive from a centralized authority. They take the cues of the others in the tribe or the herd or whatnot, and they just kind of congeal. I I, I think it's, I don't know. That's what I've observed. I'm, I'm hesitant to see it as, as the, the grand wizard behind, you know, behind the curtain directing it all. Right. I literally think that once these weird things get out into, into a particular network is that like these networks, connected through digital means take each other's cues and move in that direction right i I I just tell you a girl that i was friendly with and i helped her out legally this is the dumbest controversy in the history of internet controversies okay you know who she got piled on by a community of mazda miata owners okay apparently she took 
I, I kid you not, in the history of dumbass internet controversies, this was the fucking dumbest, okay? This girl, she takes, you know, whatever. It wasn't the nicest thing. She hopped in a neighbor's Mazda Miata that left her, uh, left their uh, uh, convertible top open, and she took a photo, and she, like, made a snooty comment about, like, standing in a Mazda Miata. And, like, three years later, and this was probably 2015, 16, uh, somebody, uh, the, the car owner finds it, her na- former neighbor at that time, finds it and reposts it, says, what a bitch, like, blah, 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 blah. Dude, just a network of literally Mazda Miata owners. And these, I checked out some of these profiles because I was looking into it for legal. These were real people. These were not bots. Like, Mazda Miata owners piled on her getting death and rape threats for talking shit about a fucking two-door coupe. Okay, it's crazy. crazy. And I think it's more so like almost the study of how, um, like I said, some people, you know, going to a European cultural example, how soccer riots happen nobody says hey let's go riot i mean sometimes they do but that's rare right these things take on a life of their own through networks of people who take you know take on take certain cues from each other yeah but can i i mean there's one massive distinguishing factor with with let's say soccer fans is that they're all they're all aligned under a very very clear goal which is our team is the best better than the rest fuck everyone else okay but how does their activity further that cause well because because like every opposition fan is an enemy so they just want to beat up every opposition fan i'm talking about the hardcore ones so you would say that all of those maybe this is where my my americanness limits me here is that so these all of these soccer riots and hooliganism it's all uh, violence against other teams fans or perceived usually yeah i mean okay it's not just destruction for destruction no no no. like for instance if, if it's their own fans if if they're fans of the same team Mm-hmm. Maybe they'll like get drunk in a in a pub and and like smash a glass on someone. But like the real fights are when it's West Ham against Millwall or you know Arsenal against Tottenham. Like that's that's when you see like the proper riots and, and fans like having these big fights. But I, but I'll go back to 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 the example is that they they all are aligned. They are like you know West Ham is the best, better than the rest. Fuck everyone else, and that's the goal that they're aligned under. What I see mm-hmm. with a lot of these militant uh, groups on, on on social media and whatever is they don't understand what they're aligned behind. What do they sure. stand for? Because they go for everything, every single thing. I bet you the Mazda Miata owners uh, collective are also the ones trying to cancel someone for a tweet that they posted nine years sure, ago. Sure, but I, I think that you're where I where I would fill in that gap is that their social graph the social graph and the network which they exist in even though they might not be under one category like a soccer team yeah for instance okay uh one time i got piled on in nba twitter i was very active on talking about the people who love to talk about the nba you know a lot of it's kind of somewhat focused around act actual journalists and then these other kind of people who write for espn and the athletic and sports yeah. sports illustrated and whatnot right and then there's you know kind of the the amateur those who don't write for those publications but have gained some prominence in a large following and these people all have similar followings there's lots of crossover of the social graph from these different people so once there's a pile on um on you know within that network that people start taking their cues right and while you know you and i we think okay a sports team or a sports league or a topic like that makes sense to organize around everybody else can organize around stuff that we find to be ridiculous but in their mind because it's what's right in front of them they organize around it yeah that makes sense that makes sense i think look it all goes back doesn't it to the sense of of feeling a part of something and community and that's behind all these 
uh, frankly horrible and atrocious organizations is that kind of sad. Uh, it's, well, it's, it, it, the idea of being a part of a community is not sad, but the, it's sad that that's what's bringing them all together. The feeling mm-hmm. of feeling alone, wanting to feel part of something, wanting to feel like they have friends and people that have the same ideas as them on, on things. Um, and that's what makes them do all these horrible things and be part of these organizations because they want to feel mm-hmm. part of something. They're alone. They're all sad, yep. lonely people. And people are struggling for meaning look these at, days. Look at, I mean, you're a great example. I feel like I'm a good example. If you're happy, content in your life, you have good friends, good relationships, you're not going to be one of these troll-like people. And mm-hmm. you don't need to get addicted to being offended. This whole idea mm-hmm. of the addiction to offense, I find bizarre. Why would you want to be offended by things? Mm-hmm. Don't let it offend you. If someone comes up to me and screams in my face, you're a motherfucking cunt, maybe that would be harder to handle. Mm-hmm. But you don't need to be offended. I, I never get offended by anything. Honestly, never. Never. Well, this is, it I think it's, it's really, yeah, it's, it's a, sh- it was well, a shift in values, right? Because there was a, pr- a, a recent era not too long ago where it was a sign of, of personal development and integrity and character to not get bothered by something. The, the, the yeah. currency you could, you could gain more. And I've talked about this before on the podcast is that we've under, we've got, gone through victimhood inflation, right? It's like you used to get more status from showing that you weren't bothered by things. Now you can, you know, grab for status and there's an inflation in the value of being a victim. And that is expressed through grievance and offense. And I'm still struggling to figure out what shifted, what, where the, where yeah, the, when was it? I wonder when it was, <laughs> Man, I will timeline around somewhere in the 2012 to 2014 range. I mean, I still find that is such a a strange, all this crazy stuff. I started seeing it a little bit here, a little bit there in 2013, 14. And that's when I started speak. But it it was fringe at the time. But I, I predicted it. If ideas this bad and habits this bad are are infiltrating the public square, like uh oh, they're going to start spreading because this it means that society is detached. It's it's gone outside certain guardrails, and that's why people, a lot of people who thought Matt, what the fuck you fought. Why are you, you know, bitching and moaning about this in 2015, 16? By the time 2018, 19 comes around, all of a sudden they're like, okay, I see, I, I, you were right. Um, Matt, so I, that's. I, the- I want to ask you a question. I want sure. I wonder why, um, I wonder why these people they're referring to tend to come from the extreme left and center left. And yes, of course, on the extreme right, there are a bunch of absolute psychos. But then all the ones that are like, oh my God, I got offended by this. They're psychos in a different way. But it's this this feeling and this love of being offended is very much a left-wing notion. Mm -hmm. I wonder where that originated from and why that's such... Why that's now a value that people respect. Like, okay. it's cool to be offended by stuff. Yeah, it's you know? crazy. But of course, it's... yes, maybe you can be offended by something if someone says something particularly horrible about you or about your parents or about your country. But they're out there looking for it. Yeah, they're, they're, they're searching they for, it. for you. But yeah. they want, yeah, exactly. This, that It's the addiction. They love being offended. So they'll, they'll go onto their social media and they find a video and they're like, oh my God, this offends me. This offends me. I'm going to type it. I'm going to tell mm-hmm. everyone this offends me. I'm going to I'm going to do a post about it. Who gives yeah. a fuck? 
based on some sort of perceived identity-based grievance. And so I'll give you my theory on that. Okay, so uh, a while back, and this is even this is in the late 2000s, right? There was a guy that I met, and I was far more liberal at that time. I mean, anyone in America who wasn't, I mean, you were standing either the George Bush administration or, you know, Barack Obama. Of course, like, you know, what was the representation of, of um, liberal America was far healthier back then, right? Yeah, I and, was but too, there was a, by the way. I, I, yeah. I would have, I would have, Always identified identified as a Democrat, and I think mm-hmm. back then, if you identify as a Republican, you're a, you're a freak. Yeah, and no, that's and it, it was a different world. Happened. I'm sad it's, how it's progressed. Yeah, and so okay, anyway. so I, I met this guy, and he was the only kind of from the South, more traditionally conservative right wing guy in the L.A. tech scene. Right. And he was, you know, he's had a couple tech companies. He was an angel investor. And I mean, I, I didn't know many people from the South. So people pe- with his values were very uh, um, that was that was, you know, new to me. Yeah. And he would always use this term cultural Marxism. And I said, shut the fuck up. Cultural <laughs> Marxism. Do you people ever stop talking about you? They're accusing Obama of being a socialist every 15 minutes. And I was like, Jesus Christ, guys, you do realize that bush was the first one who bailed out the banks okay obama's just dealing with the situation that was laid on his doorstep etc cetera, etc cetera. i was like shut up and say what i just thought this this phrase cultural marxism was crazy over the next few years as this new era of of kind of you know victimhood culture and cancellation and you know the identitarian based uh, views of the left uh, kind of you know com- materialized I was like, okay, wait a second. I see what he was saying about cultural Marxism. Because what was Marxism? Every that everything is either an, everyone is either filtered into an oppressor class is is either oppressed or an oppressor, right? The capitalists and the landlords are the oppressors, and the workers and uh, the not the the workers and renters and whatnot. Those are the oppressed. And essentially, cultural Marxism is you're translating that based on cultural, ethnic, and racial lines, right? So instead of the, so you're organizing the world into everybody's either the oppressed or the oppressor, but you're doing, instead of uh, 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 through material terms and financial terms, you're doing it based on culture, ethnicity, and and identity category. And that seems to be what we have now, right? So if you're trying to impose that paradigm on the universe, you're saying this is how the world operates. Everyone's either a victim, or is a victimizer or a victim, right? Or oppressed yeah. or uh, oppressor and oppressed um you have to solidify and you have to hammer home why is why the oppressed are the oppressed and that is by continually finding grievance continually finding offense if you keep on finding these violations then that means okay these people really are the oppressors and these people really are the oppressed and they always want to stay oppressed and they don't have the ambition to become the oppressors that's effectively what it is right it's much easier to play the victim card and well because in this case, and much like in actual communist and socialist societies, that's because then you get to fight back. You get to you get to weaponize your status as the oppressed, um, as the victim, in order to gather. And that's what you're saying now. Either get someone to apologize to you, or uh, or de- denounce themselves, or allow you you know easier access to certain positions of power or wealth or jobs and things of that nature. And so it's it's really just that that victimhood and, and kind of uh, uh, labeling oneself as a member of the oppressed class now becomes a vector towards. Um, of either status or you know material ascension 
right? Yeah. And I mean, listen, the, the paradigm that I just described, it can't explain all of this, but I think it explains quite a bit. I mean, we really are, th- this whole this whole shtick from the left these days, it really is this cult, it's this intersectionality, cultural Marxism, where, you know, they just define everything into a, a power relationship based on identity category. And there's different, there's different rules for one set of people uh, as opposed to the other based on their demographic characteristics. We're not just people anymore. We're members of categories and that has to be filtered into a victim uh, hierarchy yeah i mean it's it, <laughs> i don't know what to say anymore I yeah think, i think yeah. the idea the, the idea that this construct this victimhood construct is is the easy way out and that's why i find i find issue with it is i think it's it, it's you know a doctrine that's been adopted by a bunch of people because they don't want to be ambitious they don't want to change the status quo it's much easier i mean i've had moments in my life where mm-hmm. I rue something that's happened, a bad piece of luck, something goes wrong, it could be work, it could be life. And it's much mm-hmm. easier to sit there and wallow in pain and misery and say, I'm the victim, why me? Why did this happen? You know, as you know, Matt, I think I had, you know, serious health problems. I mm-hmm. could have sat there for the whole time and been like, Why did this happen to me? Why me? You know, I'm never gonna get better, I'm never gonna recover, I'm gonna be I'm done. I'm just, you know, it's it's so much easier to sit there and do that. And yeah. I don't know. I'm part of the class that thinks adversity is, is, is the spice of life. That's what makes you stronger. That's what makes you the person mm-hmm. you are eventually. Yeah. And, uh, and I, I don't know. I've just found that I found that trait. Yeah, there's another. And all these mm, people, the, there's not one totally. of them that, that complains and, and plays the victim that's successful. Oh, <laughs> it, it, these all these <laughs> principles run contrary to personal development and success. And that's the thing. It's right. It's like, okay, we, we had developed a kind of body of thought around what what um, qualities, you know, support a good life and success, whether or not it's purely financial success. But these are the admirable qualities. And we've kind of flipped those on on, you know, not that necessarily everybody who claims to be exhibiting them does exhibit them. But these are, you know perseverance and hard work and accomplishment and you know not being not finding offense i mean these are the things that that signal integrity right and we've kind of flipped those all all on their head and i mean there was an interesting i read a really interesting piece i forgot but it was by but it was someone who claimed to be a philosopher and you know i think that is usually a a mis mischaracterization of someone in this day and age he actually wrote a really good piece and he was describing the phenomenon that we're talking about right now and he says it's now clear that the digital era will not allow for the same hierarchy that the 20th century allowed for, right? And so the 20th century allowed for hierarchies of, you know, of looks, of wealth, um, of status, of, you know, put the hottest girl on the cover of Sports Illustrated, right? The digital era, and we could probably spend the next two hours unpacking why, is not going to allow for the spoils to go to the, 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 to the victor goes the spoils. That, oh, the, that, good looking, you know, athletic people who exhibit kind of an ease and success um, that that we're going to put them up on a pedestal and they deserve to be on that cover. We're going to find the digital the digital era will not allow for that. And it could be because there's so many, like we said, more ways for the masses out there to express their disapproval of that. That could be it. But I'm still kind of I'm still pondering that observation. I think it was an interesting one. Well, isn't it isn't it usually because these corporations fear the 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 woke mob that doesn't actually tend to be the the majority well yes but then the question becomes then the question becomes are they being faked out 
because my thesis is that they are being faked out, right? Is that yeah. all this online criticism that they think is going to, they're taking the wrong signals. They see that any brand or some brand manager or some CMO or God knows who or some person in the PR department sees a hundred people get angry for 20 minutes on the internet and, you know, screaming at their brand and none of it, but it doesn't matter. It's an illusion. It yeah. does not have any tangible impact on uh, on uh, the uh, on the business prospects, your business, or how you should react. And that these businesses, because they're so they they don't want, nobody wants to be blamed for not acting, and nobody wants to be the bad guy. Very few of them can just stare at that situation and say, you know something this is just 10 idiots on the internet and we're not going to react to this. You saw it with the Disney thing recently, right? Oh, Disney saw, um, oh, right? It's insane. You have okay. Disney, a kid's entertainment brand coming out like not just a mild comment in opposition, but just fiercely in opposition to a law against teaching kindergarten yeah, through third graders yeah. about sexual material and gender identity. Oh, it's like, what on earth? earth like how does disney really think that the majority of its customers and people who buy its products support teaching second graders about gender fluidity not in a million years well, but they I, always, I, I hope they face serious consequences because that i mean that made my blood boil I, it's, think, it's insane first, first of all the 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 mass media or the or the liberal media's miss uh i mean the mischaracterization whole, the whole, well yeah the whole don't say gay thing was was, yeah. was an invention that's fake news you want to talk about misinformation that's misinformation well, incredibly incre incredibly incredibly fake like with absolutely no no substance foundation at all i mean i mean mm -hmm. it doesn't take a genius to look over the bill i i, I mean i looked over it myself because i was i was fascinated i was like surely there can't be totally that, that prevents you know school teachers from saying the word gay homosexual whatever looked into it, it took me two minutes but I, mm -hmm. but the idea that Disney would, and I think Ron Ron DeSantis said it really well, would would choose to die on that hill. Why yeah. why would they why would they mobilize for that cause? Yeah, like the bill. I, I mean, surely someone at Disney was like, wait, guys, I get that the mob's angry, but it's just a bill that prevents school teachers in Florida from talking to kids that are in kindergarten yeah. about transgenderism and gender ideology. I mean, and none I'm of sorry. It, they but a kindergarten kid does not need to know about that. Maybe no, that is not healthy. Sure. And this was this was something that nobody would even fathom arguing about yeah. up until yeah. what 2014, 15? Yeah, yeah. How did we it, go this this far conned. this quickly? It's crazy. They've been conned and they and I don't know I, I mean I hope there's going to be ramifications, but I saw one of their I mean what one of their Zoom calls was leaked and this idea that over 50% of characters from now on are going to be of a racial minority or transgender or whatever, or, you know, uh, part of the LGBTQI spectrum mm -hmm. when, okay, I, I'm all for representation of, of any kind. Sure. But do we really need to have a lesbian, uh, rhino <laughs> yeah. for, for, for kids that are three years old? I mean, like, is it, is it really that important? Like, sure. Some of the characters, yes, I, I believe in diversity and, 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 sh and, and that's fine. But why make it at least 50%? Why do we have to go to the other extreme? It's that, you know, I, mean, I wouldn't I wouldn't say it's, uh, it, yeah well I wouldn't say that's necessarily the extreme it's why do we have to create a bureaucratic mandate around everything like is that yeah. now everything has to be quantified right because that's what yeah. bureaucracy does because bureaucracy has to measure everything right that that's what it's yeah. there to do um, and this is no way to live we can't be we can't be trying to bureaucratize every single aspect of life some people just have to go off their wit you know what taste 
principles and values, right? As opposed to, you know, a memo from HR saying mandating certain specific quantifiable numbers. But now in this idea where we where we decided to define people primarily through the prism of their demographic category, as opposed to who they are as people, this is what you get. And we'll have more of the prevailing narrative after the break. Well, yeah, and you just made a good point about a value system, uh, which, I mean, traditionally, growing up, kids will be taught good values. Be kind, mm -hmm. be honest, be generous, be a good person, blah, 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 right? Yeah. Pretty pretty bog standard, not cultural cultural specific, uh, could be taught to exactly. any kid in any world. And that's what Disney was so good at. When I was a kid, mm -hmm. you would see the Disney characters, and you saw good and evil, and you saw that good always won out, you know? Mm -hmm. You saw these like cute little animals being sweet to each other and being nice. And then you saw the bad animal and eventually the bad animal would die or something bad would happen. Lion mm -hmm. King, all these different, that that's what the kids should grow up seeing values. Yeah. The animals there, you, you don't find a transgender giraffe. <laughs> but you know what I mean? It doesn't, that yeah. doesn't need no, to be of, cor of course, it doesn't because need to be a rhino that's like, because oh, I now, Yes, and this is where and I think I don't know if you saw my post today about how we've we've detached we've replaced tolerance with inclusion and inclusion is ge is ge gerrymandering based on identity categories. Right. Is that our values are inherently tied. They're not universal values or non non culturally specific, as you mentioned. Right. That there are the idea that, no, there aren't universal values. There's only values that can be viewed through the prism of someone's lived experience as a member of this category. Category. Do we really all yeah. just want to be members of fucking categories? That's not yeah. healthy. That's no way to live. But that's the that's the current governing ethos, right? So we're categorizing everybody as opposed to finding commonalities. It's like, why do we have the fucking enlightenment? Why do we have humanism? Why do we try to find universal truths about humanity, right? If we're all just going to, you know, file everybody into a, a, put everyone to in a spreadsheet based on demographic category. But for some reason, these people are sitting around and they think this is noble. This is admirable. This is virtuous. And it just, it's, it's a real head scratcher. And I mean, I think we're starting to see, you know, the first, well, I'd say we're now in kind of the second wave of people objecting to this right and everyone thinks oh uh and this is what i i've criticized you know i've pushed back against that oh the, the the pendulum just swings no the pendulum doesn't swing you have to fight to regain these values that we have lost because the people that gain power through this new system they're not just going to give it up right so we're seeing a couple waves the elon twitter thing is a fascinating piece of this maybe that's the start of the second wave um so but it we're not going to kind of we're not going to dismiss this new you know society of bureaucracy um, uh, way of thinking, an identitarian way of thinking easily, right? It's, it's going to take a fight. Um, but that that's what we're up against now. Um, but not to get go from I, criticizing identitarianism to asking you about about identitarianism, but I did uh, want it, you know, as you make some distinctions between an American point of view and a European point of view, I'm always interested in that distinction, particularly as someone, and you're, you're very, as I, I've said earlier on this podcast, I think to a certain extent, you're your account is almost a study of status and Britain and the UK is uh, it has a class system. And, you know, when you're yeah. uh, an American kid growing up, you're taught that, oh, America's so great because uh, the revolutionaries back in 1776 rejected the class system, the British class system that, you know, was more reflective of of continental, you know, Britain, British and continental European values. And that's why America is the land of the free. So, OK, it's to what extent yeah. in, in the UK and in <laughs> you got to laugh out of that. To the to what extent in the UK 
and in Europe in general, the old world, let's call it, um, are are there still vestiges of this class system where beyond beyond you know which Ferrari you flash and and how much money whether you made it yourself or whether it was made generations ago by you know your great 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 grandfather, um, are there still vestiges of that and does it inform the the topics that you that you talk about in terms of analyzing the elite? Um. Look, it exists, but it's just it's just incredibly incredibly irrelevant nowadays. It is, and, and they, mm. I mean, a lot of a lot of the the ruling class, the aristocrats in the UK, they're clinging on to to a sense of, of power and prestige that they just don't have anymore. They have. Mm-hmm. I always talk about it: the crumbling country estate that they, you know, rent out during the day to have tours, and you know, they let all these tourists go around because they're mm-hmm. their only source of income. Mm. That's that's I guess the only kind of the the remnant of that system that you really see. Of course, you see the monarchy. That's the most obvious one, and sure. that, that's that's the real class system right there. It's like monarchy and then everyone else. Mm-hmm. Um, you see it to some degree with uh, a lot of the aristocratic families that do have major wealth that own real estate in London. Mm-hmm. So you have, as you probably know, you have all the different estates. Yeah, I actually didn't know that until this last summer. I was like, oh, wait, the city, they're That's just crazy. a handful it of makes, families that just own the entire goddamn city. No it's crazy. It makes no yeah. sense. It's incredibly unfair. You have, yes, exactly, these multiple estates that own swathes of real estate in London, and they will always own it. You know, so crazy. you have a thing called a freehold and a leasehold. A freehold mm-hmm. means you actually own your house. Mm-hmm. It's yours. It's not entitled to the estate or the government. It's yours and you own it 100%. A leasehold means that after a certain amount of years, you actually have to to pay to get to have the lease again, mm-hmm. um, and then it's just renewed. It's still owned by the estate. So as soon as you sell the house, uh, you know the estate has it back. It's like you never actually own the house. That's so it's so crazy. It's, it is. It's an incredible construct that we only have in the UK. It doesn't make any sense. And mm-hmm. so you have these families that have these these grand estates um, in London, and they have commercial real estate, residential real estate. And there's just money coming in nonstop mm-hmm. and they don't have to lift a finger. You don't wow. have to do anything, nothing. They have the business yeah. that runs everything, that renews the leases, whatever, brings tenants in and out, and that's it. And it's just wealth generation, wealth creation for the rest of time. And it feels like this is is bolted in by the government like it, it's almost encoded in the gov- in the system that these families just will can and w- always will own these wide swaths of one of you know the the world's great cities. Uh, yes, but, no. I mean there's there's I mean look the, uh, the public are not you know particularly content about it, but at the same time they're the ones mm-hmm. worshiping the royal family. So there's a yeah. bit of uh, hypocrisy there. I mean I, that that's the one construct for me that just makes absolutely no sense and seems incredibly unfair. And it seems mm-hmm. very, it seems very counter business. It doesn't, it doesn't make any sense in a in a functioning capitalist economy. It, it's yeah, it's families that by virtue of right and history are just given major parts of real estate. We should be encouraging mm-hmm. investors to come in, buy these properties, exchange them on the open market. Like it should, you know, that, and that's mm-hmm. a lot of real estate. Uh, yeah, and, and all so, it does is lines the pockets of of seven or eight different families. Very, very strange. That does seem to be the one vestige of old world, uh, the old world class system. And then yeah. it's also, and I find London so interesting for the following reason, because 
concurrently in parallel it is this hub of new money of the new internationally wealthy and a couple particular you know uh uh cultural groups and the ones that you uh that you comment on quite a bit on your account is that you know obviously you have the russians and forgets there weren't any rich russians until about 25 30 years ago because there were, it was a communist country it was only the rulers and you know they weren't really they were wealthy but they weren't really part of western wealth so you've got the the newly minted russian uh rich you've got you know the uh the the wealth of the gulf and arab states were always always present in london um you know the the fayed families and whatnot but i yeah. i feel like that's become more prominent like they've been they, oh God, yeah. right over the past 20 to 30 right. years it's become more acceptable like a dodi al-fayed and muhammad al-fayed were kind of an anomaly back in the 80s and 90s and now any wealthy Arab family, it's kind of just unspoken that they're going to go spend some time in London. Is that that the case? Well, yeah, and, and also let let me let me differentiate someone. You know, for instance, someone like like uh, like Mohammed Al Fayed or Dodi Al Fayed, mm-hmm. they were on the whole very quite elegant people, sophisticated mm-hmm. wealth. You know, that was old money from Egypt. It, you know, it's nowadays what we have is this is this Gulf. Uh, wealth that's coming to the UK, and they're not very, um, let's just say, low profile about the way that they're spending money. So they used to, you, there used to be some cultural, um, uh, uh, some guidelines to displaying your wealth, and now there's no. I mean, look, they used to have. We always uh, would have, uh, you know, people from Saudi Arabia, people from the Gulf that were in the UK that had money, but they were very sophisticated. It was mm-hmm. more the sense of old money. They had. You know, uh, kids that had gone to, to university in the UK, or they had gone to university in the UK or the US themselves, they were more Westernized in terms. And I still have many friends from mm-hmm. those areas, and their families are extremely sophisticated. But it's mm-hmm. a lot of the new money that's been created in the Gulf and in mm-hmm. Russia that that aren't aware about to spend money in a in a in a in a I guess the the I don't want to say noble fashion, but in just a a low profile, sophisticated way. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's very upfront, very in your face, um, and it just. Are they trying to rub it in the face of what they consider oh, to be the the most you know kind of classic global power that like hey now we can we're in your city we can play your game too exactly I yeah. I, I, I'm, yeah. I really I really do believe in that and you see it a lot of the time with the Russians are extremely rude to people um, you know and 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 a lot of the Arabs too I don't like to generalize because I have you know plenty of friends from that area that are super polite but they're always. The ones that grew up in the UK, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, they, they're very rude, and they're very much we're in your city, and we can do whatever the hell we want because we have money. But when we mm-hmm. go to Dubai and to Saudi Arabia, we have to behave because mm-hmm. if we don't get if we don't behave, we get thrown in jail. If yeah. we if we perhaps one night get a little bit drunk by mistake in Dubai and maybe do something slightly silly, mm-hmm. you're in jail. You know yeah. that's the difference. They have a no tolerance policy in their countries, and we don't. Well, and that you're now being culturally pressured that you know the great British oppressors and colonizers have no right to tell anybody yeah. um, not to you know one not to enter that you you can't have no barrier or no um, limitations on on. Uh, uh, no limitations on immigration, whether it's super wealthy or, you know, your kind of northern African uh, refugees from or Syrian refugees. You can't have any, but there's, you can't have any limits on that. Um, or you're just kind of repeating, you know, you 
traveling along the same lines as your great colonial past. Um, and it's a yeah. really odd phenomenon. And also just a, it, London as this kind of modern tower of Babel of just this all, all the the you know the wealthiest it's like how LA is this uh, conglomeration of all you know the hottest people in America okay that the prom king and prom queen of every city, little city in America decides to go move to LA and take a shot at making it big in Hollywood right yeah. um, a, a similar it's like almost similar that the richest family um, from every different you know uh, corner of the universe and and you know country that uh, or, or civilization that generates wealth and values wealth decides to go to london to kind of show it off or you know roll the dice at being one of the global elite very, very much so and it, yeah it's it's an it's an incredible melting pot of of culture and uh, and wealth ostentation it's it's really i mean it, you you've experienced it and you've seen it so i don't have to mm-hmm. explain it in much detail to you but but to someone that hasn't been Mm-hmm. It's effectively just a pissing contest of of wealth, and it's it's, and it's, always, it's always the new money that are that are kind of putting it front and center the most. Mm-hmm. And um, it is a little bit overwhelming occasionally. Like Knightsbridge used to be nice, not so nice anymore. <laughs> you know, it's, Knightsbridge is it's it, all it is is supercars revving their engines, going up and down the street. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, people shopping at Harrods, and and you know it's. It's not what it used to be. There's no elegance and class anymore, sophistication. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not saying you have to be old money to be sophisticated. It's more that, uh, I, you know, yes. I think a lot of people with old money understand that because they've had money for so long, it's not about flaunting it the whole time. You can be. Well, you know, some people would appeal to a certain noblesse oblige, right? In that the yeah. uh, supposedly and obviously was not always adhered to, but in the in, in, in accepting the spoils and the privileges of being upper class, that you had to conduct yourself in a certain manner, in a certain noble manner that would be, you know, that w- was not uncouth, right? And that having yeah. this great wealth and this privilege require, you know, you needed to have some some limits and some barriers, and that's just gone now. Now, now it is everything in your face. Um, it, wealth is to show show how few limits you have to live with, as opposed to understanding that you know there may be some humility, uh, some humility involved in it all. And I think that's just out the window. No, it, it it doesn't exist. And you see a lot of brands that are playing playing into that 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 idea that that there doesn't need to be any any, any noblesse, like you described. I mean, brands like like Philip Line, for for example, or a lot of these other, you know, D square, these ostentatious brands that will literally print t-shirts that say I'm fucking rich or have like <laughs> dollar bills on it. And, and these guys are buying it up like crazy and wearing it. Yeah. You see it a lot in Monaco too. Monaco is another one of these places that's a real melting pot. And there's a lot of traditional old school wealth that's, that's clashing with, with the new money. Mm-hmm. That's, mm-hmm. that's the stuff I've never understood. It's like, wearing the Swarovski crystal adorns jacket and wearing that dollar bill t-shirt and sure you can wear brands you can wear gucci i get it but when it's like so obvious and so in your face mm-hmm. and so uncouth and and and, and lacking class that's yeah. what i understand um it seems and, and it's fashion industry is it's crazy and continues to grow like crazy because of it mm. look at the chinese wealth Look at, you know, the Gulf wealth, or Russia, I mean, pretty much, you know, any any country where this nouveau riche swath of people has just invaded shopping cities like London it and Paris. It is, man, it is crazy. so, 
it is so fascinating to me to contemplate, and it's probably above our pay grade for this conversation, but in how the the vagaries of international economics and the international macro economy over the past 10, 20, 30 years has manifested itself in this way culturally, right? You look at it, okay, uh, Russia, you know, uh, Russian, you know, I've discussed this a bunch of times on this pod because the Russian thing came up, but it was, okay, they, Russia switched from a communist country to a capitalist country and, you know, unfortunately a system uh, uh, materialized where a handful of people were able to buy hundreds of billions of dollars of mineral companies and natural resource companies for, you know, a couple billion dollars. And okay, they become this one great source of wealth now that gets to travel the world. Okay. China uh, decides to liberate, you know, it, without switching governments, d- decides to shift to a capitalist economy and creates all these billionaires and all these multimillionaires. Okay, you've got that. Um, Central Bank in America, in response to a, a, a mortgage crisis, decides to print $800 billion and boom, that has to go somewhere. So now you have all these crypto billion, crypto millionaires and fucking guys with SaaS and fin- fintech companies now, that now have all this wealth. And okay, great. That ends up in some annoying American guy who tries to pretend that he's too hooked up in Mykonos post on your account. It's like the the connection from some idiot mortgage broker in 2006 in America as part of this, this mortgage bubble leads to a financial crash prints a bunch of money, ends up uh, whether earned or unearned or partially earned in the pocket of some idiot who, you know, was able to raise some money for a fintech company in 2014. And boom, he's running around in Mykonos getting tables and becomes one of your memes. It's like I find the the links in that chain fascinating. Well, it's incredible. It's like you said, that 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 one mortgage broker that then leads to a guy having his Apple Watch with a gorilla on it. <laughs> that's worth that's worth more than most people's houses. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, it should get I, even. I, yeah, I mean, I, we we probably we definitely don't have time to go into the whole NFT crypto stuff. No, that that could be um, a whole. Uh, uh, and there's there's elements of it that I find kind of interesting. I think like the underlying technology of NS, of NFTs is kind of interesting. And as a creator, I like the idea of being able to like monetize your content and mm-hmm. have some sort of ownership of, of your of your of your piece of artwork or whatever it is going forward sure but mm-hmm. the, the trash that i'm seeing uh you know and, and, yeah. and all of this wealth creation in crypto and how how terrible these guys are spending their money and how crass they are and it's just oh watching it all and, and I, I you know what i really hope that one day there's just an epic crash because I just want to see the reactions of these people. I just think it would be, it would just be hilarious. It, it would be fat. Listen, the, uh, ha- it, 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 a new, a brave new era for the, uh, the purview of soup of super snake in seeing the manifestations and vagaries and, and faults and wins and losses of wealth through the, the metaverse and the NFT space and kind of this new digital economy. I think, uh, there's going to be no shortage of topics for you to ta- attack over the next few years. hundred percent. So I think, uh, well, we covered a lot of ground and not that I anticipated anything less, but, uh, you know, you, you get it's Like I said, this conversation has been a long time coming and um, someone who uh, has been a voice once again, speaking for the unspoken or giving voice to things that a lot of people notice, but don't quite know how to articulate. And that's why I was interested in having this conversation and hope, hope, you know, I imagine my audience will find it very interesting. So, um, Thank you so much for uh, for for coming on the pod. Um, we will be checking out all uh, you know. Tell everybody where they can find you on the internet, and you know where uh, where they can find the voice of Super Snake on on social media. 
thank you, Matt, for having me. Um, you can find me on Instagram at instagram.com slash supersnake and, uh, and online at sslondon.com. And it's been a pleasure. And uh, yeah, I hope to be on next time and uh, we can talk about some more interesting stuff. Probably no crypto. Di- <laughs> probably crypto. Maybe we do the next one for Mykonos. Let's do it. 100%. Thanks so much, bud. Thanks, Matt. I am Matt Belinsky. Once again, you can listen and subscribe to The Prevailing Narrative on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you're listening right now. Make sure to follow me on my socials at Matt Belinsky, M-A-T-T-B-I-L-I-N-S-K-Y. The Prevailing Narrative is a Cavalry Audio production in association with iHeartRadio. Produced by Brandon Morgan, executive produced by Dana Brunetti and Keegan Rosenberger. For Cavalry Audio, I'm Matt Belinsky.